You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. 2 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to pick this up right where we left off, where Daniel, not Daniel, Sam, David, pray for me right now. <laughs> Just pray. One of those guys in the Bible had a really great conversation with, with the Lord. He, and David said to God, I'm, I want to build you a house, I want to build you a temple. Uh, he didn't like that the Ark of the Covenant was sitting in a tent, and, and he thought it was more appropriate that he would have a temple, he would have a house, and I, I think he was right. And it was a dream that David had to do that. And yet God said, no, you're not gonna do that. Your son's gonna do that, which isn't necessarily great news for David. But then he gave David great news. He said, your kingdom, I'm establishing it, and it's gonna go forever. And, and it, it was a great promise. And then David proceeds to pray that promise, which is what prayers do. Prayers plead promises. That's what they do. Um, and if you ever you say, hey, hi, pastor, how do I pray? Learn God's promises. That's how you pray. That's it. Because when you start to learn what God's promised you, what he said about you, what he said about uh, what you are to do with your life, your prayers will be aligned with his will. And that's when you know he's gonna be saying yes, right? And that's what David did. He, he pleaded God's promises. And, and just a, a, another reminder, because I think I really want to drive this home. When God promises something, those promises will never fail. Those promises will never fail. Commit this word to memory. You're going to hear it, some of you, for the third time. God's promises are indefectible. That is, they're not able to fail, and they do not decay. Death doesn't destroy them. They last far after. David died, but his kingdom went on. The promises carried on. Sin doesn't destroy them. Jesus destroyed sin at the cross so that we can be recipients of those promises. And time doesn't decay them. They're indefectible. You might be sitting around in your life waiting for a promise. Time has not taken that promise away. It's still there if it's from God. And David knew that. And that's why he pled those promises. In today's passage, we're gonna be reading something that may just seem like a list of battles and victories. And um, that is what it is. It, it's, it's really a, it's a list of battles and victories, really. But when we don't take time to meditate on what we're reading, we really won't get out of that what we can. Psalm 49, verse three, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Meditating on God's word. By the way, meditating on God's word isn't like what many of you might understand meditating to be. I remember the first time I heard that. I didn't grow up in church and I'm like, I don't know, like, are we lighting incense here? Are we, are we gonna hum a mantra? You know, get in touch with ourselves, so to speak. That's not what meditating on God's word really is. It's thinking about what you're reading, thinking through the implications about what you're reading, thinking about how that connects with other parts of the Bible, and ultimately praying and allowing the Holy Spirit to show you what it means to you, because it means something to you. That's meditating on the word. And all scripture, 
All scripture is worth meditating on. You might come across passages or you might say a list of a genealogy, so to speak, in the New Testament, it's just a list of names. Well, you know, I just skip over that part. No, 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul says, all scripture is useful so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. So we're gonna meditate on what we read here. And the first thing that we're gonna notice is what Pastor Ross at our Pendleton campus is calling a, a victory list. And shouldn't we all have such a thing? Right? Should we keep a list of wins, a list of blessings, a list of the things that God has done for us? Not just keep track of when we're disappointed, which is kind of our human nature, right? But a victory list. And that's the first thing we're going to notice. Then when we read this, we're going to try to then understand it through the lens of everything we've read so far. You say, Pastor, I haven't been here every week, so I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, don't worry. I'll do my best today. You can catch up but I'll do my best to make the connections today without taking the whole day. Deal? All right. 2 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. After this, David defeated the Philistines, subdued them, and took Metheg Ammah from Philistine control. He also defeated the Moabites after making them lie down on the ground. He measured them off with a cord. He measured every two cord lengths of those he put to death and one full length of those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's subjects and brought tribute. David also defeated, I've been practicing this one, Hadadezer, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but that's how I'm gonna say it today. Son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when he, <laughs> when he went to, to restore his control at the Euphrates River. David captured 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers from him, and he hamstrung all the horses and kept 100 chariots. When the Arameans of Damascus came to assist King Hadadezer of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 Aramean men. Then he placed garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Arameans became David's subjects and brought tribute. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David took the gold shields of Hadadezer's officer and brought them to Jerusalem. King David also took huge quantities of bronze from Betta and Barathai and Hadadezer's city, cities. When the king of King Toy of Hamath heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadezer, he sent his son Jeram to King David to greet him and congratulate him because David had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Toy and Hadadezer had fought many wars. Jeram had items of silver, gold, and bronze with him. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he had subdued from Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, and the spoil had a deezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. David made, a, David made a reputation for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Salt Valley. He placed garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites were subject to David. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went, so David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteous, righteousness for all his people. That is the word of the Lord. So <clears throat> it's a list of victories, right? Did you get that? With, and a lot of weird names and hard to pronounce names. Just someday if you're bored, just look in the mirror and try to say some of those things, okay? I, I encourage you, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so 
And, uh, you know, I think, I think it, you know, anyways, I don't want to go too far into the names. I just wonder why. At what point did we stop having such interesting names? So, so anyways. Um, but we see here a list of victories. And in the first four verses, David captures, he, he defeats the Philistines once and for all. And he captures 1,700 horsemen. And he kills some of them. And he leaves some of them alive. And, and, and it gives us all the details of that. But we see in David the, uh, the heart after God. But we see a heart of a warrior. He had to have the heart of a warrior to survive all that he had survived up to this point, right? Everything he had been through, everything he had to fight through, everything he had to endure, he had to have a heart of a warrior. And God told David that he was gonna make David king for the sake of Israel, his people. And that's what we're seeing happen right now. This is for Israel. Israel's expanding now under David. Remember the prior administration, they were constantly in battle, but they didn't gain any ground. They weren't on the winning side. It was pathetic. And David finally starts taking ground. Israel is expanding. Why? Because God promised David these things. Not because David is such a great warrior, but he is a warrior. And he had a heart after God. We just read about God's promises to David. God promised David that his kingdom would reign forever. Take notice that God's promises require active participation. I don't know about you, but when I receive a promise from God about something he's gonna do, uh, I would prefer to sit in my favorite lounge chair, get my chips and salsa and sweet tea, and sit there and watch him do it for me. Anybody else? I would, I would, that would be nice. You know, all right, God, you, it's, you're gonna pay off all my bills for me miraculously? Great. Thank you. I'll be over here. I'll let you know when I need more salsa. That would be nice. But that's not how it works, right? See, God's promises are also a test of faith. Do we believe the promises enough to take a step out? The apostle Peter was with the other disciples in a boat when Jesus told Peter to walk out of the boat and meet him on the water. Now, Jesus did not use the force to lift Peter out of the boat and place him on the water. First of all, the force, as we know it today, hadn't been invented, and God doesn't need the force anyway. But he didn't, you know, wave his hand and, you know, like the X-wing, whatever. Peter actually had to step out of the boat himself. He had to make a decision to put his foot on the water. It took an action on his part to realize the miracle there. Maybe God has promised you success in a certain area of life. That means you have to make some attempts at whatever that thing is. You can't succeed if you don't try. You just can't. And David, being a man after God's heart, when God promises David something, David believes it enough to then pursue that promise. And it took a fight. And our promises are no different. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. God promises you something, now fight for it. God gave David the heart of a warrior. All of us need to have the heart of a warrior. There's, there's a notion, you know, at least in some circles, and as I grew up, like to be a, a Christian, to be a Christ follower, we just, you know, it's all being meek, and meek is fine and good, and in fact, we could talk about the meaning of meek. It doesn't mean, you know, weak. 
But being a Christian is to have the heart of Christ, which he is a warrior. And that verbiage is throughout the whole scriptures. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Some of you know it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, I take up the full armor of God. You take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the devil in the evil day. Having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert uh, with all perseverance and intercession in the saints. That, that indicates war. You're putting on armor. You're a warrior when you are following Jesus. You, you're not, and by the way, you're also not just on defense all the time. We need to go on offense. That's what David, he was going on offense. Right? Matthew eleven twelve. 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and the violent have been seizing it by force. We need warrior Christians now more than ever. Christians who are gonna fight for their relationship with God, for their friends, for their families, for their communities, for righteousness, for justice in the world. This is why we do a lot of the things that we do. It's why that we stay engaged in what's happening in the world. On every front, we stay engaged with education. We stay engaged with, with work. We stay engaged, yes, with politics. We stay engaged with justice. This is why we do what we do with Project Rescue, rescuing kids from human trafficking. By the way, if you hadn't seen Sound of Freedom yet, go see it. Okay, go see that movie. I got a, a, a notification this week. Some of you may have heard this, but the entire city of Lebanon, the leadership of that, the, the police, the, their leadership provided, they saw it, they thought it was so important for people to see, they made a way for everybody in that city to go see that movie if they wanted to go. It's, it's, a, it, it's really amazing. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis wrote an uh, 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 article about the importance of seeing this movie. If you haven't gone to see it yet, go and see it because here's the thing, you're not gonna hear those good things from the typical Hollywood A-listers. It's all criticism coming from them. It, it just is. And that's part of the problem. But this is why we need warrior Christians. Because, because Otherwise, no one's going to fight for these little ones. No one's going to fight for them. I'm getting off here a little bit, but I just want, I want you to know how, how bad it is and how much we need to fight. They're adding a letter to the alphabet for LGBTQ. The letter M for minor attracted persons. I'm not kidding you. We need warrior Christians that aren't gonna put up with this. David had the heart of a warrior. We have already been promised victory. 
But for us to have victory, we have to fight. Verse 5. When the Arameans of Damascus came to assist King Hadadezer of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 Aramean men. Then he placed garrisons in the ram of Damascus, and the Arameans became David's subjects and brought tribute. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David took gold shields of Hadadezer's officers and brought them to Jerusalem. He also took huge quantities of bronze, jumping down to verse, I'm going to jump down to verse 10, where he gets silver, gold, and bronze from Jeram. He's getting all the, the loot, so to speak, and he dedicates it all to the Lord, right? Incidentally, that last king took a proactive step after hearing all the, of David's exploits. He was happy that David defeated an enemy of his, but he was also happy to yield and surrender before David came after him, <laughs> which made a big difference. More on that later. But what I want to look at, maybe you want to just take a highlighter or do something. Look at all of the material that David received. Gold shields, bronze, silver, and he dedicates them to the Lord. Remember, David's dream is to build God's temple. And in chapter 17, again, we saw that beautiful exchange between David and God and God saying, no, it's not going to be you. It's not going to be you. But he wanted to do it so bad, <laughs> right? He wanted there to be a center of worship for Israel, for the ark to be. Um, and, and it was after God said no that these promises came to him for other things that are amazing. But again, take notice that even if David might have been disappointed, he was still content to do what he could do while seeing those promises fulfilled to set the foundation for his son. In those battles, he collected the gold, the bronze, the silver, and he dedicated them to the Lord. God didn't just tell David he would not build the temple. He told David that his son was going to build the temple. And in resignation, David might have been even maybe bitter and envious of his own son, and that would have been tragic. You know, well, if I'm not going to be the one to build it, what am I supposed to do? Then I'm not going to do anything, right? <laughs> he could have been that way. That would be tragic. And sometimes that, that kind of attitude can happen even in our own lives. I've watched sometimes as people, perhaps my age or older, look at their kids and the next generation with scorn or envy because of the possibility they have and how they're using it. Or as parents how it's so easy to do little or nothing to set our kids up for success. You know how important it is, whether it's your kids or it's a spiritual son or daughter, a young person, that you do things that aren't for you but are so that they can succeed, right? And that's, that's what God is doing through David. When God gives you a dream like he gave David, sometimes it's so that you can set up the next generation to make that dream happen. And although it might hurt at first that you don't get to be the one to do the dream, in the long run, it's better to let God allow you to have that kind of influence on someone and you be able to watch them do it. That's really so much more rewarding 
than when you do it yourself. And David's modeling that. It's not like he said, okay, I'm not building the temple, then I'm not doing anything to help. He's setting his son up. He's setting the next generation up for success for the thing he wanted to do, right? Life Church, we've got a lot of young people helping to run and lead ministry, and I think that's awesome. That's a good sign of a healthy church. It really is, right? It may come with challenges, but everybody comes with challenges, right? <laughs> we want to set the next generation up to accomplish the dreams that we can, we can only hope for, right? And God's giving them dreams, and his will is so much bigger than just one generation's dreams could contain, and they're all inclusive when it comes to all generations, Influencing and allowing someone who comes behind you to succeed and facilitate the dreams God gave you is a heritage that comes from the Lord. Our Father in heaven trusts us with his mission. <laughs> and when we trust someone we're teaching, when we're discipling, we're influencing, we're acting like our Father in heaven. And remember, when you get frustrated or tempted to lose patience with that person that you're bringing up, God, who is perfect, does not lose his patience with you. <laughs> That's good news, right? And David is doing that. He's, even in, in these victories that he could just take so much pride in, he's not thinking just of himself. He's a warrior with a heart after God who's content to set the foundation for the next generation. Be the shoulders for your children to stand on, the next generation to stand on, and all of us are standing on someone else's shoulders anyway, right? Verse 13, David made a reputation for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Salt Valley, and he placed garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites were subject to David, and the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was his court historian. Zadok, son of Ahitub and Ahimelech. Don't judge me, you, you gotta try it. Son of Abiathar were priests. Sarariah was the court secretary. Benaniah, son of Je Jehoiada, over the Cherethites and the Pelethites and David's sons were chief officials. Just telling us who's doing what. But he reigned and he was victorious. Why? Because the Lord made him victorious. God's victories in his life and God's victories in your life are driven by God's promises. Everything we read in this chapter is about God fulfilling his promises to David and Israel. But those promises were only happening because they were activated by his faith. He participated in them and they required the heart of a warrior someone who would fight for those promises to come to pass. Don't give in to the temptation to say, well, if God promises, I shouldn't have to fight. That's not true. Why else would we have verses like fight the good fight of faith? It's a fight. Well, what am I fighting? Well, probably yourself for one, 
<laughs> right? But it said in Ephesians, it says we're, we're fighting against spiritual forces. We look at the issues of the world, some that I mentioned. Those are, that's dark, that, those are demonic spiritual things happening behind all that kind of stuff. Right? That, that doesn't just come just from our depravity, although we're very depraved. As, as human beings, we're depraved. We need Jesus. But he fought for them. And ultimately to see all those promises fulfilled. Because his promises to David carried well beyond David's life. Up to today even. For those promises to be fulfilled it would require another warrior. Jesus. Jesus was and is a warrior. I know we, you know, we like to think about him, you know, just light, you know, really peaceful, looking down and smiling. I don't know what your picture is, but listen to this in Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head, and he had the name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on the white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He'll rule them with an iron rod. He'll also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is a warrior. He's fighting for God's kingdom. He's at war with darkness in this world and with anything that would cause anyone, especially these little ones, to stumble and those he loves. Jesus fights for you. He fights for your heart. You say, well, if, if he's God, then why, and he's fighting for my heart, why, why are all these things in this world the way they are? Can he just fix it? He is holy. He is love. And we can't really know love without being able to have a choice. And therein enters the problem. That opens the door. When we choose apart from God, it opens the door to all this depravity and it hurts us and other people. And he still doesn't give up on us. So if you just take the time to meditate on that for a minute, it's not so much that a loving God is, is inept or not, he's absent. It's that a loving God is still fighting through our own sin to our heart. He's a warrior. And perhaps his biggest fight was with our sin. It took a warrior to endure what Jesus endured on the cross beaten mercilessly, whipped with leather laced with sharp bones, a crown made of thorns digging into his skull, stripped naked, mocked, 
nails driven through his hands and feet, suffocating on the cross. Literally, I don't know, I mean, many of you may know, but part of, part of what killed a person on the cross is when they're hanging in there, the pressure that it puts on their lungs makes it impossible to breathe. So if they want to breathe, they have to pick themselves up to breathe. Can you imagine how painful that is to do when you have nails in your hand and you're doing that? And he, he, he did that for hours. That's a warrior. Why did he do that for hours? Because he wasn't just getting executed as a criminal of Rome. He was paying the price for all of sin and all time he was fighting our battle for us until it was finished. And then he said, it is finished. The ultimate battle, won on the cross by the ultimate warrior. And for us, the only way to live in victory in this life, the only way to see God's promises come to pass is to surrender to the cross. It's to surrender. Which is ironic when you think about it. This whole time I'm talking about, you gotta be a warrior, right? <laughs> well, what kind of warrior starts out by surrendering? Surrendering means defeat, doesn't it? Most of the time, yeah, <laughs> right? King Toy over here, I don't know, Toy, Toy, it's T-O-I, Toy, it's fun to say. King Toy, he, he started that, that conversation today by surrendering before David even attacked him, right? And you know what happened? He actually ended up coming out ahead for that. He won. But you know what happens when we surrender to Jesus? Surrendering to Jesus is the only time in life that you'll surrender to win. And when you surrender to Jesus and the cross, you win, you win eternal life, you win purpose here on earth, and God makes you a warrior. No longer to be pushed around by the darkness of this world, but to stand like we did in worship to say, to, to, in worship to say, I'm a child of God. I know who I am. I'm an overcomer. Why? Because Jesus has overcome and I've surrendered to him and he's bringing me with him. He's inside me and he's a warrior. Over and over and over again in, in, in Samuel, we look at David and we, we, un, we get to understand a little bit about Jesus in David's life. And God gave Israel David to expand, to show them who he is. And God gave us Jesus to expand his kingdom. That's why we're kingdom builders. You say, doesn't seem like we're having much success with the way things are going. His kingdom's not of this world. It's made up of individuals who all come to the same conclusion to surrender their lives to Jesus. That's building the kingdom. And the question is today, have you surrendered? And are you fighting? And if you're not fighting, Will you surrender to the cross and let him use you in the fight?
Amen? Starts with surrender. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Even in this simple list of victories, we learn so much about a heart after you, who you've made us to be, God, and who you are. And we're so thankful today that you're not, you're not a God who stands idly by or puts us in place in this world and says, good luck, see you when you get here. Or just wants to allow things to happen, but you're a warrior and you fight for us. We even read in the New Testament in John that you are interceding for us, Jesus. You are sitting at the right hand of God right now, praying for us right now. And that's how warriors fight is in prayer. <laughs> and that's happening right now. We thank you for that. With your eyes closed for just a moment, I just want to give you a chance to respond to what the Lord might be saying to you. I want to ask the question, have you surrendered? Have you surrendered to the cross? Have you surrendered to Jesus? If you've been struggling through life, or maybe you've had lots of successes, but still something is off a little bit, that's probably the problem. You say, Pastor, I haven't really surrendered. I, I like Jesus. I like what I hear about him. I like, uh, you know, what, what people have told me in songs that I've heard, but I haven't surrendered my life to him. I don't live for him. But I, today I want to. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to do more than just know about Jesus. I want to know him. You say, Pastor, that's me. Would you just lift a hand? Let me know. I want to pray for you today. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe today you were at one point surrendered but you have withdrawn from the fight and you know it. You're not fighting anymore. And God today, through his word and with the Holy Spirit, is calling you back into that fight. You say, Pastor, that's me. <laughs> He's calling me and I'm gonna answer today. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let me know that, amen. He's calling you back into the fight. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Stand with me this morning if you would. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.